0: Welcome back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. On today's episode, I interviewed Josh Mance, who recently wrote a book called The Beauty of a Darker Soul Overcoming Trauma Through the Power of Human Connection. Josh is part of the same grad school program that I'm currently in and that I'm about to graduate this month. Um, It's the Philosophy, Cosmology, and Consciousness program at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco, California. So before I ever met Josh through school, the first, um, I guess, experience I had or exposure that I had to his work was that he gave a PCC forum talk. Um, That's a um, organized series of talks where people in our program can give talks to our community. And I was really blown away by his story Josh is a former army major. And in 2007, while he was deployed in Iraq, he was shot and killed by a sniper and was flatlined for 15 minutes. And during this time, a medical team ceaselessly performed CPR on him and pumped his veins with life-saving drugs. And sometime after that, Well, I mean, 15 minutes goes by and a faint pulse is detected, so he's back to life. But sometime after that, he regains consciousness. He wakes up in a hospital with full recollection of the events that led up to his death. No brain damage. And if I have my facts correctly, I think it was only about four months that he spent recovering, and then he got himself back um, to the Middle East and back um, back into his deployment now, sometime after this, his military career took a turn, and he was um, on a public speaking circuit and sharing this story as part of a initiative to help encourage people in the military to seek mental health or behavioral health treatment. And there's like a stigma around that. And so, time goes by, and he's giving these talks. He's given maybe you know hundreds of them, or he's speaking very frequently and his book is about the struggle that he went through of you know having this having trauma or having emotional breakdown while at the same time working speaking you know being out in the public and but having this internal experience and how he found himself on a healing journey of sorts Um, working with his own trauma and that the trauma wasn't really necessarily about getting shot and dying, but it was something else um, that he was starting to uncover. And so we're currently the astrological landscape. Pluto and Saturn are conjunct in the sky. I know you may have heard of it as the big Saturn-Pluto conjunction of 2020, but they're not that far apart right now. And they both recently went retrograde on the south node of the moon. The Saturn-Pluto combination, you know, so this podcast as a whole is starting under this alignment. And so you may notice that throughout the show or, you know, who knows how things will develop over time, but I definitely have felt this trend of as the show's starting, it's like, I want to dive deep into the, the stuff. I want to talk about shame and trauma and how to transform and heal shame and what's really, you know, it's helpful to look into shame where it's unconscious because shame, you know, as Josh says later in this episode, shame is subversive. You know, it can get under our skin in certain ways. And we might not even know that it's happening. You know, we can be kind of under the spell or kind of hypnotized by shame or by our shame-based complexes. And shame, of course lives in the dark, it lives in the shadows. And so when we bring light to it, and when we talk about it, that's part of the healing. Now, we talked a lot about astrology in this episode, because I've been talking to Josh for a while since we've had classes together, and wanting to look at his chart. You know, I think as well that I'm very curious about learning from people who have had um, really big or significant experiences. And as I you know heard him speak and i read his book i picked up this feeling from him that you know here's someone who's really gone through something super transformative and he is someone who's sharing that story and has learned something from his experiences and he's sharing what he's learned and that's a healer you know that's medicine so when josh came over and we started to do this recording I told him a little bit about his chart, which I thought was kind of going to be off the record, but then we just started launching into a conversation and it flowed um, and that's what happened. So you'll be catching kind of just a conversation that we had spontaneously in time about astrology and the themes of his book and having conversations about shame and trauma and hey, Pluto-Saturn conjunction in the sky, but he also has it in his natal chart and we talked about that too. All right, let's dive in. Cool. Um, do you want to hear some things about your chart, kind of like off the? Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, I figured I could share that with you, and then probably not include it that much in the interview unless it comes up.
1: You, you can whatever you want. So okay. I'll just roll with I'll just roll with you.
0: Okay. Well, um, did you know you were born during a full moon? no okay so that's like a good just poetic thing to know about um but you have so your son in aquarius do you know the traits of aquarius
1: i've read up a couple different things before but i'd rather hear it from you so <laughs> you they're know? really
0: smart really intelligent and they see like systems and they really there's something very like utopic or um humanitarian about them like they like to really yeah like help out masses of people um even like the way that they relate interpersonally tends to be with groups. Like it's a sign of group consciousness and group think. And so I can kind of see that through you.
1: No, it's huge.
0: Um, But your moon on the other hand is in Leo. So it's the sun is going to be like your essence, like, how you appear, like the light energy that you give off to other people, like the sun radiates. Um, and then the moon is like your internal filter, like how reality filters through you and how you feel things. Okay. And Leo is like the lion and it's this very expressive sign. And Aquarius like doesn't really like that much attention per se, but Leo loves attention. So
1: it's straight conflict.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel that in your in, conflict all <laughs> in your story because of like getting a lot of attention for what you do um, yeah. and then also being like, ah, oh, don't look at me.
1: That's like profound. So there's, wait a minute. So I'm born at some time in the morning, I think.
0: Okay. It would still be a, a full moon. Do you know what time?
1: I wanna say it was like do you need let me call my mom real quick, she'll know. Okay. I think it's like seven thirty one or something like that in the morning. I don't remember. I'm probably way off. Hang on. Mom. Hey, really quick question for you. It's out of the blue. Do you happen to know? What time I was born? Can you? You would have it in a book. <laughs> yeah, I knew. I know it was in the morning. I thought it was seven or eight something. Eight oh three. Eight oh three a.m. Eastern time. All right. I'll call you back. Thanks, mom. (laughs) All right. Love you too. Bye. So 803 Eastern. Does that change anything?
0: Yeah. Well, now I can see the house placements in your chart.
1: What does that mean?
0: So these are all areas of life. And before it's like, I can see the planets, but I can't see what area of life they're in. So it's like, The planets are like players or people and the signs they're wearing. So like these little glyphs are like their costumes and then the room of life that they're in is the house. So I was aware of like the people and what they're wearing, but not where they are, which now having this information gives a lot more um, depth. In what way? Like
1: because this contrast is like it's amazing to me because it like literally represents my life. Yeah. Like. I mean, how common is that to have that so like the the sun and the moon, like I don't get it. Can you say it again?
0: Yeah, so every 28 days there's a lunar cycle. So you were right. born at the f- just right after the full moon because you have 17 degree moon in Leo and if it was 9 degrees Leo it would be exactly opposite your sun. So you're born shortly after a full moon and If you track kind of the emotional state of the new moon out through the, you know, the full moon, like hospitals fill up and Mm -hmm. um, emergency rooms, because there's like a peak kind Mm -hmm. of experience or event or like a boiling up of energy that happens at the full moon. And then as I understand it, like souls who are born at full moons have some kind of offering that they're kind of like sharing in this life, like something that you've developed in prior lives. And there's different cycles happening in the chart besides the lunar cycle, but it's like your ego has been developed for many lifetimes. And there's something about um, sharing or like letting go in this mm. life. But the opposition is the sense of um, Aquarius is not, it's the opposite sign. So it's the opposite archetype. So having a sun and moon and opposite science relates to the potential for that like inner right conflict
1: right yeah because it is it's it's the the disparities or the dissonance is that it's a very um it's like a public figure position (laughs) you know i mean you're you're constantly on stage you're uh and and i've got to go into like a very different mindset um to go there, you know, it's a performance, it's, it's real, but it's, it's like, um, like I have to relive that experience every time, you know, and then you, you walk away from the event. A lot of performers I know, speakers I know who are are, are like this, like, and people are like this in their own ways, but, um, like after a big event, I'll just crash, you know? Um, and I'm worthless for like two, or three days. <laughs> um, but it's, cause I leave everything on stage, but it's the, the hard part mentally, emotionally is is balancing. Um, like, uh, how do you communicate? Like what what is a, a message that I don't want to be about me, <laughs> right? And, and, and make it, you know, about the audience, about how people can resonate with it in their own ways. Um, Yet it's still like, I still have to be like on stage, you know, you still have to have this, this presence. uh. So it's, it's really, it's, it's hard, you know, but, but I have to stay in that tension. I have to stay in that tension because if you, if you slip into sort of um, not respecting what this platform is like it, it can be very easy to like fall into slip into arrogance or pride, you know? Mm. Um, and, and similarly, if, if you let the deep emotional aspects of this, uh, consume you, you know, very easy to slip into, to shame cause you're living it all the time, you know? Um, so it's like the only way to do it is to embrace both of them and stay in the middle. And, and that's, and that's, that's like, it's the fight is actually to stay but in between the tension, you know, or in the tension.
0: Yeah, that's really profound. That's, um, you strike me as a very humble person, but you also have had great experiences too, or like have like a great depth to you. And so I feel like to hold that, I feel like that comes with the Leo archetype as well, because it's about the full splendor of human creativity. And so it's an archetype that encompasses the capacity for arrogance or narcissism, and then on the other right. side of that is shame, too. Yep. Like yep. They, mm-hmm. they come together. Yep. So pride I have and
1: pride and shame.
0: Yeah, oh, it's, really. <laughs> but it's really interesting. I feel like I, in your book, you talked a lot about kind of having internal emotional turmoil while you were receiving public accolades. Mm-hmm. And just that's such a difficult reflection to experience and mm-hmm. to kind of have to like hold yourself up or be present for those experiences, but also feel kind of hidden behind the the role. Yep.
1: <laughs> are we are we live? Are we going?
0: I started recording, but we can't include oh, this. Sorry. I no, I just wanted to, yeah, <laughs> I
1: was just curious. No, if this is like part of it, because this is a cool conversation. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, Can you, can you repeat that last part? We'll just cut this part out. (laughs) Can you just repeat like that last one again? Because that was hitting on a really good topic and I want to make sure I'm going in the right direction.
0: So the Leo moon, so this corresponds to your emotional nature, like how you filter experience, like Mm -hmm. Leo relates to the grandiosity of human creativity or just creativity in general. It doesn't have to be human, but it's, um, it's like the lion who has this like grand kind of um, mane, and it's about self-expression and shining. And then the other side of that is the potential for pride and narcissism, but also shame, um, (laughs) that comes with that archetype.
1: Yep. Absolutely. It is because there, there's, um, you brought up the, the section in the book, which is really like the initial downward spiral happening, right? Like everything I was doing initially on that speaking circuit was done with the purest of intentions, right. It, it, um, you know, t- to, to help reduce stigma surrounding, uh, seeking treatment in the behavioral health field. Right. And we had this, obviously this, this, powerful, captivating story that we were able to leverage to uh, talk about that, but then drive home the real message of uh, that it wasn't the near-death experience that was hard to overcome, right? It it was living life afterwards that was hard to overcome. Um, And and then that was grounded in these deep-seated moral (laughs) wounds, right? Shame, powerlessness, betrayal, guilt, in a multitude of different capacities, had nothing to do with getting shot you know that was a catalyst that was like um a cause right but but it's really what manifests after that wow. you know so so today it's 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 like you know this is really relevant in terms of um being like a prof- a, a professional speaker <laughs> you know um one is it took literally a decade I've been I've been speaking for a decade now, and, and uh, like full time professionally for a couple years, but it took me a decade almost to shape uh, shape the performance that this is today, right? And, and what and what I mean by that is is like. It, it, it the the biggest challenge for me is I, I I never wanted this story to be about me, right? I, I wanted it to be about the audience. How can they resonate with that's because that's all that matters. Otherwise, it's just telling a cool story. There's plenty of those. That's not hard to do. You know, I can I can tell cool stories, but like the, the point is what's the meaning of the story, right? And 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 more importantly, not just for me, but how can how can an audience benefit from it potentially, right? And it requires a lot of very careful articulation, uh, almost poetically shaping and crafting the talks, the timing of the movements on stage, everything. But um, the, the reason that I, I, I take that so seriously is because you have a very short window of access, right? To be able to, to move people and, um, it, it it can be um, in in the speaking industry, right? It, it it's every talk, like every successful talk, tends to lead with um, a deeply emotional personal vignette, something that the speaker is very deeply connected to, right? And then it it it, it transitions, uh, you know, hopefully into inspiring uh, an audience. But it's it's easy to lose sight of that. Is is what I'm saying? It's it's easy to. Um, The the most challenging thing for me was that holding this near death experience, like being dead for 15 minutes, and somehow coming back from that. Right. Um, A lot of a lot of people tend to believe that that's like the holy grail of trauma. You know, how can it get worse than than dying? Right, than getting shot and dying. Well, and and for years, like uh, you know, I'd, I'd share this experience and people would come up to me and they'd be moved by the talk, you know, a lot of times in tears. Um, But a a lot of times they'd start their sentence with this. When they talk to me, they'd say, you know, Josh, I've never been through anything like what you've been through, but dot, dot, dot. And then they, you know, fill in their story. And I, and I realized they were just trying to be humble. Right. And and I respect that more than anything. Um, But in the same breath, in the context of what we're trying to do with this talk right with this message is people are almost inadvertently minimizing their own experiences by saying that you know and and that's like the last effect that I wanted to have. I didn't want to like intimidate people with this talk. Right. I wanted to empower them. So, so today that's, that's completely different, right? It's, uh, the, the talk has been like carefully shaped to, to, to not have an effect like that. That's
0: amazing. Cause when I saw you talk, you brought that up and, you know, towards the end too, you shared that. So I think that you just informing people about that minimizes people falling into that response.
1: Right. You know, it, it's, it's, um, <laughs> going back to, to kind of what led to this, right. It, it's at the same time, it's, it's very difficult to when, when you're, when you're speaking about topics like this that are just as emotionally deep as they can be, uh, that I, I also, I realize I, I have to relive this every single time. Right, I have to let myself go there. I've trained myself to let myself go there. Right, that's the only way it can be real. It's the only way uh, people can actually truly connect with it. Right, uh, um, so it, it's and and for me, you know, remember that when I'm walking up on stage, I'm carrying the souls of a lot of other people with me who didn't make it, um, who were killed, right, who who were or, or who are no longer with us. Um, and, and it's it's like the tension that you're describing in this chart. Like, if there's anything that we can like directly point to, is is that, you know, here, here here's like uh, talk about shame, right? Talk about guilt. Is, is here? You are sharing the story, right? And yes, it's done for a great purpose. It's done to to help benefit. The core message is what it needs to be. But there's always like. The, the souls that um, underlie this experience, right? I would say that is what pushes me to continuously perfect the talk and the performance more and more, right? It has to be perfect, you know? So it's, but it's, it's like the, that place, that's driven from a place of honoring the message, honoring them, which is something way beyond me
0: wow yeah and it's it's a sobering experience that you had so even though you have this story and you've refined a talk about it that does move people you're not trying to make it about yourself um and i that is a incredible balance to achieve
1: well it's like we have we have to try to give people permission right like this is you know when we're talking about psychological trauma adversity uh, behavioral health, depression, anxiety, you know, um, obviously like this book was intentionally written. It's a very deeply vulnerable book, <laughs> right? Like I don't even like rereading it because it's for me, it's so, you know, vulnerable, which is fine. It's a good thing. Um, it had to that, that's, but it's, it's also designed to give people permission to look at trauma and adversity through a, a very different lens Right. And, and sometimes, um, uh, you know, what I'm saying is that, that psychological trauma does not discriminate. It, it, it comes in many shapes and forms. It impacts all of us, uh, from every walk of life. Uh, and even though the nature of our experiences can be very different, the emotions that manifest from them are often very similar. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and that um, it, it's 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 not like a, a competition here, you know. <laughs> Who <So>, suffered
0: more? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, w- we have a natural tendency. I'm guilty of it too, right? We, we have a natural tendency to kind of look at other people, um, and and say, well, you know, my situation's not as bad as theirs is, right? I shouldn't be complaining, and it, that. You know, sometimes comparing ourselves with others is good, right? It, it, it can push us to be better. It can push us to gain new perspectives and do more. But in this context, right, healing and transformation, like ultimately, like that is a deeply internal journey. And it's it's not about comparing ourselves with other people. It's about maximizing who you are. So th- there's there's a multi, you know, adversity and trauma life is a journey, right? It's never a fixed point in time. It's cumulative. Um, so, So the way I respond to a certain event in my life may be very different from the way that you respond, right? And it's all based on what came before in many ways, you know? So the the point is like where are we going? <laughs> you know, like if I need to work on X and you need to work on Y, and we discover that, like it, 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 the the point is what, what whatever is is whatever is going to help you flourish in life is what we're trying to give people permission uh, to acknowledge. Right. You know?
0: Um. There's a few other things I could point out about your chart, but I might save it for later. I would like to ask you to share maybe like a a summary of your story just for context um,
1: yeah sure um the 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 quick version is um uh, you know back in two thousand seven almost twelve years ago, exactly to this day uh, april twenty first um I was shot and killed by an enemy sniper. <laughs> Um, so I was uh, I was a military officer for about 10 years. Um, and and uh, so it was in the middle of this uh, deployment to Baghdad where this happens. Um, and it ultimately went on to die for 15 minutes straight. Um, somehow got pulled back by a phenomenal medical team who pulled off a miracle. Uh, it, it recovered and then actually went back four and a half months later. Uh, it's not... But that's kind of the, the 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 first half of the book, or the first half of the experience, I guess, as it's reflected in the book is is. And
0: so, um, this is the beauty of a darker soul.
1: Oh yeah, the book, yeah. the beauty of the the beauty of a darker soul, overcoming trauma through the power of human connection, right? Um, but no, it's kind of like there's two distinct parts of the book, right? Two halves. It's like the first half. Um, I think number one, it'll it'll give. Uh, War combat, it's it's radically different than what most people think it to be, and I I, I think you'll see a deeply humanist uh, form.
0: Can you say a little bit more about that? How it's different from what people think?
1: Yeah, um, it, you know, d- d- so the nature of we, we can think of combat, and you know, at a high level, in, in kind of two main categories, right? One is conventional warfare. And this is something like this is most of the stuff you see on the movies, right? Uh, things like World War Two, you know, Germans versus Americans, boom, clashing in the middle, right? Th- 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 taking a mountain, storming a hill, whatever it may be. Um, and and it, when, when most people think of war, they think of conventional wars. Um, what what's happening today for a multitude of reasons and it's not like this is anything new, but it's just becoming more and more prevalent. Um, it is unconventional warfare, uh, otherwise known as asymmetric warfare, uh, or specifically insurgency counterinsurgency. Right. And, and to, to simplify this, um, as much as I can, it's, it's a very, very complex topic. Um, but you know, in conventional warfare, Success on the battlefield is won by achieving tactical superiority, right? Overwhelming firepower, right? An overwhelming uh, uh, show of force, right? That that decisively seizes the objective. And, and all of the, the tactics, the procedures, the strategy, it's all shaped around that, right? Very violent thing, right? Yeah. Necessary, Necessarily very violent thing. Pure conventional warfare, right? But today... Uh, especially today uh, in a, in a, in a um, th- th- success hinges on our ability to build trusted relationships with the local population with the people right and 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 the reason, the reason for this. And, and, and what this translates to is that much more uh, much more the, the qualities associated with the feminine divine, right? The, the feminine ethic, empathy, humility, compassion, right, relationship building, trust, those are decisive qualities and traits in this environment, right? Leading literally with love and um that's that's not as easy said than done it's it's exceptionally challenging because you have, we have to also remember that we are doing this under extreme risk to ourselves right like Extreme risk. Um, it's we're, we're risking our lives every time we drive down the road with the most horrendous bombs you can think of. Right? We're we're constantly in sight of snipers who are hiding in the shadows. Right? We 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 can't see the enemy today. They blend in with the local population. You know. So the the only way um, the only way to find the insurgents. Right. The, and, and by insurgent here, I mean, people who were exploiting, killing, raping, torturing, kidnapping uh, people of that local population um, in order to find those insurgents. The people of that community are the only ones that can really tell us where they are um, and, and for them to be able to have the level of trust they need with us uh, to, to be able to. To share that information because they're putting themselves at extreme risk by by disclosing that very similar to like a gang uh, in the United States, like in a big inner city, right, Um, where nobody on the street block (laughs) wants the violence to occur, right? If a gang member, gang violence happens, somebody gets killed, right? Police show up. Nobody on the street block wants that to occur, yet no one's willing to talk to the police either, Right, and and that's mostly due to fear of retaliation, by the gang members, you know, because they know after this police leave, guess who's at risk. So, so it's it's the same thing in this environment. The, the, the bottom line here is it, it, it's uh, trust is everything, uh, empathy is everything. You know, you you've read the story about Hajjul and her family in there, um, and, and that's kind of a pinnacle story of that represents the complexity of this environment. Um, But it's, it's cultivating uh, genuine, genuine empathy, humility, right? Cultural awareness, respect, like speaking Arabic, that was, you know, I majored in Arabic when I was at West Point uh, because I knew I was going to be people facing as an infantry officer on the ground, right? Nothing more important than language in this environment. Um, If I, if I had to choose between carrying my rifle or knowing the Arabic language, I would have taken Arabic every time.
0: Yeah. I wonder from your story, it seems like you've had empathy and like care all along and have had this kind of moral character from an early age, but then it sounds like when it comes to counterinsurgency, it's like a strategy to build empathy. How did you find yourself navigating, you know, the discovery of true empathy when it was coming perhaps from an intellectual place?
1: You know, I, that's it. So, so that's a really good question um I, I would say that it wasn't coming from an intellectual place it was literally coming from the heart um and it and it has to be that way if if i'm going in like with a strategy um to to like try to empathize right or to try to fake it or something it's not going to work you know, like the people need, need to be able to feel it. And, and that can only come from the most genuine place, l- literally leading with the heart in, in that case. Beautiful. right? Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so and, and that's why that's why a, a lot of folks struggle w- w- with it. I mean, it's a deep transformation. We're asking, um, it, you know, because we the, the, the military, right? A million people and one, you know, a huge organization, you know, At any organization, it takes a long time to, to transform an organizational culture, right? Take the, you know, take a corporation that you're familiar with. I mean, going through organizational change is, is one of the greatest tests of any leader, right? The, the military, um, we were unquestionably going, you know, after 9-11 happened, we were unquestionably and still are the strongest, most powerful conventional military force in the world. Yet, um, after 9/11 the the emergence of all these insurgencies right this completely different form of warfare emerged right so the the service members had to not only try to transform the organizational culture but to do it in a live combat environment where people were getting killed every day you know uh, um, so we're, we're, were we were asking service members um, to lead with empathy, right. To, to uh, win the hearts and minds, earn the trust of the people, um, in in that local population, despite the fact that their friend just got killed the day before by the very people they're talking to in, in many ways, you know? So, So it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a war of moral and ethical tension, uh, at the most complex levels. And it's it's this is what drives the work that I do today um, in in a certain facet of my company, which is I actually train behavioral health therapists um, in advanced cultural competency uh, related to military and law enforcement professions to help them understand this, um, so that so that they can help uh, service members and, and first responders process.
0: Uh, I would love to hear more ones. about that. I also want to back up and. Um you were laying out a few of the parts of your story. So first there's the traumatic impact um, of being shot and coming back to life. And then what comes after that?
1: Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, shortly after, um, um, so I recovered, I, I went back, finished the deployment, um, served on a couple of different assignments, but I, I guess as it most relates to the story, one of those uh, is I was asked by the Department of Defense to to basically enter into a national speaking circuit. and and it's important to note here that this was like a, a year and a half after I got shot, right? Like I retrospectively obviously I didn't have a clue. <laughs> what I was, what, what, how how much that injury really impacted me, and you know the, the ten years afterwards would be the journey that would uncover that. Um, but but the bottom line is that um, this is where we go back to what we were talking about earlier. Initially, right that speaking circuit. I mean, I'm talking 200 talks or so in the span of just two years, on top of other full time jobs that I was running within the military. Um, it, it, bottom line is I was running myself into that ground, um, compassion fatigue to the extreme, right? And, and this is why I often say that uh, addiction comes in many forms, right? Drugs, alcohol, sex, working yourself into the ground, right? And and that that became a form of an addiction for me, right? It, it, I didn't know it, um, but I was hiding behind the shield of my own story. You know, um, concealing these hidden wounds of shame and guilt that I, I, I could viscerally feel something very off, right? Dead inside, right? Um, but I, I couldn't articulate what that was. Back then, nobody ever talked about guilt and shame. And I was like oh, yeah. one of the leading speakers in the behavioral health industry at the time, <laughs> right? So, so back then I never heard about this stuff and I was in the middle of it. Um, and that's, that's really what ultimately transformed my focus, uh, you know, into focusing on the moral wounds of, of of not just combat, but psychological trauma as a whole. It is grounded in feelings of guilt, shame, powerlessness, betrayal, and it's often found in places where we least expect it.
0: Yeah, I would love to hear more about that because here's where this is universal too. Like everyone has shame and trauma, right? And then shame can be really sneaky. Like it can be super unconscious and hidden. Like how does shame, what are signs of shame?
1: It's subversive. Right. It, it, it's uh, shame and, and guilt operate like a form of cancer. You know, it, it, they, they behave like a form of cancer. They start by infecting the deepest, darkest corners of your soul um, below the level of our conscious awareness a lot of the times. Right. And, and as that infection continues to grow before we know it, we're in stage four and we're in crisis And uh, uh, the challenge is a lot of people don't know why they hit that crisis point, myself included. You know, when I, when I hit the first deep suicidal spiral, I had no idea why I was in that position. You know, I couldn't articulate it. Nothing made sense. Right. Uh, So the, the, the Everett since then has been helping people to find ways to articulate these complex emotions. Um they're often paradoxical, right? And and they require like peeling back layers upon layers upon layers. You know, ultimately the journey to uncover it is an internal one, you know, not a journey we need to take alone or should take alone, right? The perspectives we gain from others, from, you know, uh, the pursuit of knowledge, wisdom, all, all these other factors in our lives have a crucial role in that as well. But ultimately we have to have the courage to take that inward journey and face truth. And to stick with it until we find more truth, right? Yeah. And and, and to, one, I'll, I'll tell you, it takes more courage to take that inward journey than it does to set foot on any battlefield. Um, it, that's how important this is, right? And... and it, it, like to give you an example of what I mean by the ambiguity of these types of wounds, um, I'll give just kind of a simple example, but um, a powerful one. It, you know, when I, when I, what I didn't say during this uh, intro, right, is that the bullet that shot me uh, first went through one of my team members and killed him. Um, it severed his aorta and then ricocheted into my thigh and severed my femoral artery, right? So when I woke up two days later, I learned that I died for 15 minutes, but I also learned that I had survived and he did not, right? And um, a lot of people, myself included, would have assumed that any guilt or shame I would have been experiencing would have been surrounding survivor's guilt Right. The, the, the kind of obvious thing here that that obviously there's some guilt that maybe a lot that, that Marlon died and I lived. Um, and certainly that's true. Right. That there's that, that's an aspect of it. Um, but it it never felt like the whole picture to me. You know, there is something more there. And as I really started to understand guilt and do this really deep introspection for years, right? Writing the book was a huge part of getting this out too. Um, But like the, the multidimensional aspect of moral wounds is, is important. It's it's important to recognize their complexity and to stay humble in the face of it. Um, Meaning that healing is a journey. It's never a fixed point in time. Transformation is a journey. It's never a fixed point in time uh, that I learn more and more, even to this day. You know, the greater pressure that I'm under, the more that I learn, uh, the more that I uncover, right? But um, as an example of just how subtle this can be, uh, you know, for, for me, after I was shot, it, it's, it's not as if every minute on that plane back to the United States hospital, right? It's not as every minute on that plane was a minute closer to home. It, it was a minute farther away from the team you know wh- wh- when you're when, when you' when you're truly uh, part of an organization like that where uh, there's this deep bond this deep love right uh, I-, I could have cared less and and I this is how most of us are in these professions right I could have cared less about my injury that didn't matter it's easy to much easier to overcome like a straight physical wound. Uh, in many cases, you know, not for everyone. I'm speaking for myself, but for me, it was much easier to overcome a a straight physical wound than it was dealing with the guilt that uh, came of not being with my team while I'm laying yeah. there in and a hospital. It was just bed. kind
0: of like a flip second where you were completely invested in your mission, and then it gets interrupted.
1: Yep, yep. That's that's another very powerful aspect of this. Um, Just in terms of what drove me to go back so quick, you know? Like, because I wasn't supposed to be really walking for six months and I was back in Baghdad. You have a sneaky
0: story in your book of how you got back
1: to pull out a lot of interesting moves to make that happen. But the point is, it was like originally I thought that I was so motivated to go back. because of my team right like i wanted to be with the team and obviously i just described that right there's an aspect of me that just selfishly i wanted to go back to prove to myself that i could still do my job effectively um but i I found out over the years that uh you know There were a lot of other factors driving me to go back that like these forces of guilt and shame, specifically one of those examples is I, you know, when I was in the hospital, as bad as my injury was, it it was all muscular, right? So, so I was one of the only ones in the entire hospital expected to make a full recovery. And and meanwhile, you know, to my right is a triple amputee to my left is somebody covered with 30 degree burns, you know, uh, It, 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 the medical care I received was phenomenal, but that environment, it's a very difficult environment to be in. And, and especially knowing you're the only one, one of the only ones that's going to make a full recovery. And, and one of the images that just riveted me, um, was I, I remember I was on crutches at the time and I walk around a corner and I see this beautiful young girl in her early twenties, pushing around her new double amputee fiance in a wheelchair,
0: yeah, you know yeah.
1: and it was just like this striking um it's
0: heartbreaking so,
1: so, so yeah so the guilt here like uh, 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 one source of the guilt here was actually a guilt in my ability to heal when other people couldn't <laughs> right so, so that's a very paradoxical thing if you let that sink in right i felt guilty because i could heal and 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 it, it, you know, but because the, the, one of the factors or, or one of the factors that kind of magnify guilt is 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 this perception of uh, unfairness, right? These these arbitrary injuries. Why why them not me? You know, the, the, so, so so it runs deep. And, and and the reason that this is important. Um, is if if I'm uh, I think of it almost like acupuncture, right? If I if we hit the right nerve, the true root cause, it can release that pressure, right? But if we if we think it's another nerve, the nerve that society is telling us it should be, right? And if if we if if we keep trying to poke a nerve that it's not the root cause, it, it's not going to be released, right? So, so these 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 emotion complex emotions of guilt and shame like they as as difficult as they are to overcome they do have a weakness right and that weakness starts by shining light upon it it starts by identifying the true root cause and you reach that point and and like that's that's the true beginning of the real journey right it's and it's a gift as difficult as it is right
0: Yeah. So what helped you get to the root cause or do you feel like you have?
1: No, I mean, I'm, 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 I don't ever say that I, like I'm at a point now where this is, there's been so many significant cyclical type of disruptions, um, you know, yeah, the near death, divorce, incurable disease, um, you know, crazy stuff on the entrepreneurs. I mean, I'm talking like just massive disruptions throughout life, uh, various forms of trauma, and it's 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 almost like the universe kept pushing me harder and harder uh, to, to uh, until I finally got. The hint, you know, until I finally got the point.
0: I want to say so when I saw your PCC forum talk, that was the first time I heard you speak. And so this was a talk that was at like a 10 year mark of you working on these talks, right? Um, I found your talk extremely relatable, even though it's an extraordinary story. But um, I have noticed that people talk more about trauma and even just in the last few years and in like healer circles and whatnot like everyone's trying to like uncover and heal trauma and people talk about their own trauma self reflexively so it's not hidden Mm -hmm. anymore so i have like traumas in my life that brought me to this moment that aren't totally resolved but listening to your talk um something that really struck me was what you were saying about relationship failure and that Meaning, you know, if there's a deep, if a relationship ending becomes a moment of trauma, it can uncover like there's this deeper sense of shame. And that blew my world open in that moment because I hadn't really been conscious about that. If my relationships Mm -hmm. failed, I was like, it's my fault. And I was like trying to understand it for months afterwards and seeing all these healers and trying to heal, but not realizing that. I had this core unconscious belief that I did something wrong or that yeah. I'm bad in some way. And so just you putting voice to that was super powerful.
1: I'm glad you brought that up and connected with that, you know, because it's, it's, it is, it's, it's something that I think, um, you know, here again, this is a good example, right? That, that let, <laughs> our, our tendency may be to compare a relationship failure to a near death Experience, right? And and we might be like, come on, everybody goes through relationship breakups. I shouldn't be dealing. You know, it's it's not as bad as that. What I'm telling you is that it is. It is right. Like I'm 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 that guy. I'm the, I'm the one who did die and get shot and all that. And, and I'm telling you that the greatest challenge, my my greatest uh, my Achilles heel, were relationship failures. Right. One of the best quotes on shame it, 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 it comes from uh, John Bradshaw. And he wrote a book called years ago called, uh, healing the shame that binds you. And, uh, in his book, he says that, um, I haven't quoted this for a while in his book. He says that to a shame based person, uh, and that means to, to, to any of us who are experiencing shame, regardless of the cause. Right. But to a shame based person, uh, abandonment in relationships is akin to death. Right, but, but because we have rejected ourselves, right, and, and when so, when the person we love rejects us, it reinforces that we are worth less, right? And so so it, it's and again that that that's deep inside the mind of of somebody ex, you know experiencing shame. It's uh, why are relationships so devastating because they deal with love. What emotion out there is more powerful than that, you know, or, or in 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 the best of ways, right? And if if that is like, and the, the more the the greater the magnitude of love, the more trust is there, the more vulnerability is there, right? The, the greater the capacity to hurt, and that's why the uh, you know the, the uh, <laughs> you know the greatest risk we'll ever take is love, you know, and it's it's one that I believe is absolutely the one to risk, um, but it's it's also very difficult when to, to to kind of maintain your belief in that after losing it over and over and over and over again. Um, but anyway, all I'm saying is that it is uh, that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. You know, so I'm yeah. really glad you brought that up.
0: Yeah, it's it so true um something else in your chart that i guess i'll mention to connect with that is that you were born under a pluto saturn conjunction which is actually i don't know if you've heard talk at cis about we're in another pluto saturn conjunction so we're approaching it and it will go exact in 2020 but it's a like pluto represents the soul and it's like the deep psyche and it's the shadow or it's like the freudian id or it's like the core purpose of being here like desire in this cosmology of astrology is why we exist so pluto can represent like the bottom line intention of the soul in a lifetime and you also have it conjunct saturn and saturn relates to authority and boundary and moral character and it also relates to shame because shame is connected to you know moral character in a sense we feel like there's part of shame that regulates our morality right or like Mm -hmm. we internalize the values of the culture around us. And we feel shame when there's something inside of us that doesn't match that. Right. So people born with Pluto, Saturn and aspect, and you have a pretty tight conjunction with them, um, are often people who like face really like forging events in life. Like it's someone who sees their soul in like a very manifest physical way. So having (laughs) these deep, profound just your soul is in your face experiences versus, you know, the soul is operating for everyone, but Pluto Saturn like manifests it in a very concrete form. And it has something about having people really deal with the deepest bottom line issues. But even because, you know, Pluto Saturn, another way to look at it would be the transformation and lucidity around shame, you know, not being unconsciously bound by shame anymore, but being able to recognize it and, change it. And then additionally, like Pluto's about power and empowerment. So it's where we're disempowered. It's where we find power and then how we empower others. So I think even your work about helping other people recognize and overcome shame and trauma is an expression of that signature.
1: That's incredible. It's, it's more, so you said we're in that cycle again right now. Yeah. When did that, I'm just curious, when did that sort of start to align?
0: You know, I don't remember. I feel like it's probably been within the last year or probably when Saturn entered Capricorn. So that was in like January of 2017, but it still was far away from Pluto at that point. So Mm -hmm. it's just been getting tighter and kind of more intense. Since then,
1: the, the reason I bring that up it is um, it's bizarre. Uh, so the last year has probably been the hardest year of my life, really. Oh, yeah, getting this business up and running, right? They're just um, health tanking, right? There's a lot of like very toxic stress in terms of trying to um, do this type of work, uh, and, and it's 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 very difficult to to start any type of business or company but when you're trying to do it with like a pure message you know it's it's in this field it's just it's it's it was much more challenging than i realized it was going to be than i thought right and um i was really worried for a while that I, i i might need to go down a different path you know that the work was done right and um i i kind of hit a, another rock bottom point but through that right emerged two of the greatest periods of de- definitively i've never experienced anything like this two kind of back-to-back creative uh waves that were just both extreme and have both resulted in um, just these profound visions, which are already in motion now, like real world, um, to, to communicate uh, this message in a much deeper way. Uh, creative waves that were not coming from me at all. Um, Ooh, far, weird. far beyond, um, I don't know. Um, I, 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 you know, I, 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 what's happening is the word surrender, the meaning of the word surrender continues to deepen for me in terms of what that actually means. Right. And like, I'm not talking about surrender in terms of throwing your hands up, quitting, right. I'm not talking about surrender in terms of, uh, yeah, let's just let life run its course and sit on the beach and drink margaritas, right? No, you know, as Brian Swin would say, right, cherish your relentlessness, you know, I, like aggressively um, pursue that which you're passionate about, right? It takes that. We have we have to have an agency, right? But do we have the strength to not be attached to the outcome, if, if it, if it doesn't turn out the way that we thought. Right. And, um, kind of in the, in the, in the period of greatest pressure is where emerges the greatest period of creativity. You know,
0: I've heard you say before something about trauma's connection to creativity. And it's interesting because even astrologically like Aquarius is related to trauma and Leo is creativity. So they form a a polarity of necessary opposites. Like they are two sides of the same coin. And I think the way you put it one time was trauma increases bandwidth. It's like, if you can get to the other side of trauma, so you're not, I'm not sure how you would put it, but like, you're not kind of racked by it. You're able to be a little bit outside of it. Then your bandwidth increases and something else opens up. But I think you may say it better.
1: No, that was right on the, the, um, just in like, like theory, right. Just a way to visualize, I kind of think of trauma in terms of, uh, increasing our emotional bandwidth, right. Our emotional playing field. Um, and and, you know, all these emotions exist on polarities, right. It's, it's a spectrum and there's, um, like when we when we experience an emotion of an exceptionally high magnitude right that's it's prior to our understanding of how severe that emotion can be whether it's a good emotion or, or you know a positive negative emotion whatever it is, it may be right have i experienced uh, fear or have i experienced terror right and and, and what i'm saying is that as those emotional magnitudes increase, uh, and we process them, right? It also increases our ability or the size of the emotional bandwidth that we have available to us, right? That, that we know that that's a, a, a very real potentiality now. Um, and, and, and to, to, to kind of go on a journey of discovery to learn and, and find the value in all of the emotions right including shame including guilt Something you mentioned earlier is really important you know it's it's not that shame shame isn't i'm not saying that shame is bad i'm saying that yeah, toxic we have enough
0: of that too. right
1: i'm saying <laughs> no that, shame
0: about shame yeah
1: i'm saying that toxic levels of shame it can be destructive right and that's what we got to be aware of any uh it's arguable that any if we're living in a state of one singular emotion or t- group of emotion, like all the time, you know, d- d- there's, there's a reason for, you know, uh, white and dark and about, you know, light must emerge from darkness, darkness from light. And, and it's, again, comes back to, um, finding a way to, uh, I, I've I've personally come and, and it's not like I even I don't even know that I'm to the point where I'm ready to like um like it just depends on how how far you want to take this right but it, within your ability but I have come to really deeply appreciate as hard as it is appreciate this space of tension um and and the fight for me is to actually stay there
0: <laughs> so you what know. Would- What would not staying there look like? I
1: I think ultimately it would be something that, um, for me would like, there's, there'd be something telling me or something that I'd feel, uh, that, that would, um, gnaw at at me yeah you know because there's 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 something here that um i i I think um, i i need to be doing right there's some type of purpose
0: yeah Uh, i feel that so strongly in you just in your story and how i've heard you talk um as i've been getting to know you in school but like you seem very driven by this like vision or this mission that you have and it seems like it's not it's almost like beyond a choice. Like it's like a certainty towards it. And I feel like that's a, that's really powerful for people to become aware of that. And then it is a surrender in that case, because if you don't answer the call, you'll feel it gnawing at you. Um, But answering the call takes your will and takes your heart and takes that, the living intention or intensity. Right. It seems like.
1: Yeah. It's that's like, and I think to me that's, become the like just the deepest truest meaning of surrender right is to surrender to that while putting your fullest energy into it right this this trust that there's something um it's It's, it's emanating it's it's something that emanates far beyond me you know i feel more of a conduit of it
0: yeah Um, that makes a lot of sense i want to connect more stuff to your chart because now it's it's making sense but um one function of Aquarius or something that Aquarius can do is channel. It's like being a conduit and you have it in the house. That's like spirit it's in the house of spirit, but also Mars. So that relates to the will and just kind of like mission and things like that is in the sign of Pisces. And that's the most spiritual, most surrender oriented of the signs. And I have Mars and Pisces too. I've written a few articles about it on my site because I've been really fascinated by it as an archetype, but it, the thing that I've noticed really strongly with it is that people can be very adrift with Mars and Pisces if they don't find their purpose. Right, And so Pisces relates to the whole ocean and it's like surfing basically or like finding the stream of energy and riding that. And when people don't find that, They, it's like all this crisis, all this cataclysm, and they're just being kind of torn about by the ocean. And then they find the stream and it's like the alignment with the personal will, with the divine will. And so I think it's actually can be a very powerful placement. But in traditional astrology, I don't think it's thought of as the most empowered Mars in a sense because there's some value on it being like, oh, it's just pure individual agency. But I think it's like, no, it's the combination of the personal will with the universe will. Like that's super powerful. But the struggle for people comes in making that alignment. Right. And I think even um one of Pisces downfall can be like addiction or alcoholism mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's a way of kind of tuning out or numbing out the intensity of that call from spirit or, you know, even people who see spirits and they don't want to see them anymore. They'll drink to like,
1: right. I, I think you just summed up how I've been feeling over the last year, better than I ever could. I, I mean, it, 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 that, that, it, it, it just, that misalignment with purpose um it is, that 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 was unquestionably the driving force behind the tension over the last year you know if i don't have a purpose or if i can't find if i can't come into alignment with that and truly feel it um you know it's it's interesting because it's it's like i've <laughs> I know. It's like, again, disrupt massive disruption after massive disruption, you know, I've always been like a very kind of purpose driven person tied to higher cause. Right. Um, but this to, to find this stream of energy that I'm in right now and what that is produced and where it's going, um, I had to go to, you know, a point of such extreme tension and pressure that it again just um, was probably the closest thing to breaking me that's happened, you know. But broke me open, you know. Breakthrough, yeah. maybe. But it's, <laughs> it's it's literally it was it was you know pressure leads to creativity, you know. And it's it's just like there's I think there's sort of an evolution where. We we peak, we plateau, right? Into a certain realm of consciousness or a certain creative state, but it it doesn't just stay there for the rest of your life, right? They, like there's it, it, that that purpose draws us to kind of these next echelons, these. It, it, and and I'm I'm like I'm I'm fully aware at this point. Like I don't expect life to get any easier. Like That's I
0: okay. <laughs> I don't yeah.
1: You know, I, I have no expectation that, like, I don't care if I'm, if I make it to 70, 80 years, I don't, like, it's not going to get any easier, you know, and that's the beauty of it.
0: Yeah. Being disillusioned of that kind of hope that, oh, at some point, some horizon point, but it just keeps happening. Another thing I wanted to ask you is what um, a darker soul means to you, because that's what you've titled your book, Beauty of a Darker Soul, and yeah. then you say that you're a darker soul and. Um I think, I mean, even stuff that I have in my own chart and in my own life, I could resonate with that or holding this uh, huge polarity as well, because I love peak experiences and bliss and all of that. But mm-hmm. I've gone through some pretty intense stuff in my life and it has chiseled out, you know, deep caves inside of me where I've like right. really grown. So I'm just wondering how you might describe what a darker soul is and maybe how other people might connect to it if they also have those qualities
1: yeah it 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 it, um it's the concept of taking those experiences that you've come through and um understanding that that has the ability to impact the lives of others right That, that um that 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 beauty can be found within darkness Right. And that, um, those experiences, they shape our perceptions. They, they increase our emotional bandwidth. They give us the capacity to empathize with others to much, uh, empathize more accurately, right? To, to a much greater degree, uh, w- which facilitates the, the deep relationships needed to heal from this, right? Needed to transform and grow. Um, and the other aspect of, um, the beauty within darkness, right, is, is sometimes the paradoxical meaning that emerges from it years after the fact in terms of what it has taught you, what it is teaching you. Um, and and uh, as as horrendous as some of our experiences uh, may be, you know, this isn't a quick process. This is something that um, unfolds over time. Uh, but, but, you know, ultimately kind of what I try to communicate to, to, to folks uh, who may be struggling with this is that um, there's, there's a misconception about trauma, right? And it's very easy to fall into the cognitive trap of believing that um, transformation occurred because of the traumatic event right? That, that that growth occurred because of the traumatic experience. When in actuality, transformation cannot occur until some point after the experience, right? O- only after which we've successfully integrated it, assimilated it into our lives, right? So so what this means is that the traumatic experience, what happened to you doesn't define you, right? What happens afterwards, right? That 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 growth every Breath that you take, right? Every moment you're alive, every thought you fight through, every emotion that you fight through, right? That is your strength, right? The the, the 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 response to whatever the situation may be, like that is that is the person, right? Wow, yeah, you know, and and um, so we each have an opportunity to support each other through that journey, and and also, you know, an individual, but because there's... Events, traumatic events, can leave people so ashamed and dejected for the most paradoxical reasons, right? They, so this is where the bridge of human connection comes back in to ignite that fire again. You know, we talk about the universe. I, I, I the, you know, we see this in the universe, right? I think it was the LMC galaxy, this deformed spiral galaxy, right? A, and you know, I'm sure your listeners know that the two types of galaxies, right? Or you know, generally. They may. <laughs> Well, there's, so, and I'm, I'm quoting this out of, or sharing the story out of, you know, our professor's book, Brian swim a journey of the universe. I think it was that book, but Brian describes this it just brings life to the universe. Right. And, and, um, so there's two types of galaxies. There's essentially, right. There, there's, there's spiral galaxies and there's elliptical galaxies, uh, elliptical. The difference is elliptical galaxies don't produce new stars, Right. So they're stagnant, essentially. Right. There's there's no motion to create life, to to recreate life. A a spiral galaxy, on the other hand, does produce life because of that spiral motion. Right. It's regenerative and it's just phenomenal. Um, But what happened with uh, the large Magellanic Cloud galaxy, uh, which is in our local galaxy cluster, is. You know, billions of years ago, it 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 was a spiral galaxy, healthy, functioning, right, and it incurred some cataclysm, probably a collision with another bigger galaxy, and the LMC, as a result of that collision, lost its form, right? It 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 lost its spiral shape, and it and it so it went from this life producing organism to stagnant to dead right and and i think the way brian describes it in his book is is that the lmc was then abandoned right literally floating out into the darkness of endless space Mm. um after being deeply traumatized right can you imagine that like abandoned right disrupted i just if we give an emotional tone to these galaxies and, and give them life you know we can think of what they must have felt right and it's but what happened it was So we know that the cataclysm happens, the trauma happens, but billions of years later, you know, after floating alone, hopeless, right, it comes into a gravitational relationship with our Milky Way, right? And then the force of that gravity literally um, sparked the LMC back to life. And it started forming stars again, right? This relationship of connection
0: with other things. That's so powerful. And you talk about that in your book too, about how that's how you overcame some of your darkest moments was reaching out to other people. And I also, I found that advice applicable to anyone because it doesn't matter what you're going through. If there's a sense of I'm suffering and I'm not talking to anyone about it like that is a moment where you could reach out to a friend and not have to feel bad about it and of course in more dire situations too or more crisis situations that can save someone's life to just reach out to someone else um, and it's also i think it's just so regulating to be around other beings and to not be alone and just you sharing your story it's really beautiful and i feel like allows people to see themselves in that in terms of that they also have trauma and they also have shame And just when people name it, it has this um, like catalytic or enzyme like effect on their universe where they can open up to that part of themselves. So I feel like that is the power of like any being who goes through deep stuff, does work on it and transforms, heals the planet. I think just even in a non-local sense, like you wouldn't have to talk to anyone or write a book and your energy field would still helping the planet (laughs) for what you've been through and how you've healed it um even if you know healing's not complete anything you have accomplished like is stored in the universe right and then to write a book about it to share with people it just has that extra like signal boost um so for anyone listening i would really recommend reading the beauty of a darker soul thank you Sabrina
1: now this is it's awesome and um it's been a really it's been awesome to get to know you over the last what year year and a half so far yeah a year. yeah about a year and I'm I'm just amazed by uh what you're bringing to this field and and how close of a accurate just how accurate um everything you're describing is as it relates to my life so it's it's phenomenal
0: thanks you know. I'm glad it it connects with you Thank you for listening, everyone. I will just add that after reading Josh's book, I got newly inspired to talk to my friends when I'm going through something, because I can be the kind of person who if I'm like, in some kind of anxiety loop, or I'm going through something that I'm just not going to reach out to anyone and just go through it by myself. And being emotionally self-reliant is great. I'm glad I have that. Ability and all the same, it can be really isolating. And I realized that there were times where I could actually lean on someone or reach out to community. And that, um, you know, if we're struggling or if we're going through something, we don't have to do that alone. Like, we can ask for help, whether that is through our community or through seeing a healer or a therapist or something like that. So Definitely some like difficult topics that we covered, you know, talking a lot about shame and trauma, that's some heavy stuff. And the Saturn-Pluto conjunction is a heavy transit. And so I don't say that to scare anyone. Um, A heavy transit doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to have a bad time of it, but it can be a time where we transform Pluto through taking more responsibility, um, saturn And that can be more responsibility for our shadow or more responsibility for our soul, you know, like what it is that we're here to do or what it is that is blocking us from what we're here to do. So maybe we feel shame around taking up space. We feel shame just for being who we are, but being who we are is what we're supposed to be, you know? So that's, you know, shame can be traumatic. Shame can really hold us back in life. And I think that it is scary to talk about it sometimes and also really valuable. So I would love to hear from you what you think about this episode. Feel free to holler at me on Instagram. I'm Sabrina Monarch. And if you have been enjoying this show, please leave a review on iTunes. That will really help and go a long way. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.